I'm sitting here today with James Gleeson, who for the best part of 30 years has been an athletics coach, a personal trainer, uh, a researcher, and a writer. And uh, James is somebody who I worked with for 12 years, or we worked together. He's been a great support to me, and here today to get his thoughts on all things, mostly health, but also nutrition, life balance, and um, you know, maybe relationships, personal core values, all sorts of things like that. I think James is very well qualified to speak on these topics, and I reckon he'll have a few things that are of interest. So, um, mate, just a quick one, a big one, mindset. What does mindset mean to you? Yeah, mindset, that's a, that's a, it's a loaded term, isn't it? You know, I'm, I'm, when I think mindset, I think it's, uh, it's the prism through which we see the world, mm. yeah? And so, of what is this prism constructed? Essentially, your beliefs. Like, your beliefs colour everything that happens to you, for better or worse. So, I like the metaphor of a, um, of a prism because refracted through that is your beliefs and you, you, you come across what you come across in daily life is really a reflection of what, what you believe to be the case. And yeah, that's why um, I think that, you know, for a lot of the clients that we've had over the years, uh, negative core beliefs are the origin of their problem, right? Mm -hmm. um, um, someone that comes from maybe um, a troubled background, um, this can manifest in a, a really negative core belief around which will be subsidiary beliefs such as, you know, I'll never be successful. I'll never, I'll never attract the right mate. Uh, but if you drill down right to the very depth, when they look in the mirror, they don't like what they see, right? Mm -hmm. They say, I'm worthless. And if that's your core belief, as sad as it is to say, it's going to be very hard for you to progress beyond a certain point, yeah? And so I see this um, very common um, with people who are, who are very large, and it's a, it's a very sad thing to see. But if you can identify that and then retrace the problem back to um, these negative core beliefs and overturn them, um, even uh, the most damaged people, um, it can be a revelation to them. Mm -hmm. yeah. well, so as a health coach or personal trainer, you mm -hmm. like their cheerleader, their supporter, you're trying to, you know, in a way, increase their level of self-worth? Well, yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, self-worth is an interesting one because I think that, you know, for anyone who's trying to improve their health, um, um, lose body fat, or just be a healthier person, um, the, the traditional thing to do is to say, right, um, let me look to the outside world, the external world, and maybe the answer's out there. Mm -hmm. But what I would first say is, okay, the first thing you want to do is go back inside your own mind and say, right, what do I actually see when I look in the mirror? What do I think about myself? What is my own self-image, right? Mm -hmm. And if your own self-image is a middle-aged, struggling housewife with a weight problem doing her best, if that's what you really believe yourself to be, gee, it's hard to get up at five o'clock in the morning and go mm -hmm. and do a, do a workout mm -hmm. because it's, it's in conflict with how you see yourself. Mm -hmm. That type of a person would traditionally not do that, mm -hmm. right? It's hard not to have the muffin with the coffee, mm -hmm. right? You know, um, um, so I'm not saying it can't be done. By sheer force of willpower, such a person can do that, but willpower is a limited commodity, right? Mm -hmm. Eventually, that's going to dry up. So the better thing to do is go inside oneself and say, right, okay, so... <sighs> I want to be a healthy person. That's what I want to be. So I'm going to see myself as a healthy person, right? And when I come to those one percenters through any given day, do I get up and do the early class? Do I just have the coffee minus the muffin, right? Mm -hmm. Do I go the extra mile just having greens without the baked potatoes, right? Mm -hmm. All these little one percenters. Stop and ask yourself, okay, what would a healthy person do, right? Mm -hmm. And by sheer force of repetition, you become that healthy person, right? Mm -hmm. So you start from the inside and work outwards, That's right? Cool. So, so um, I think it's um, you know, very difficult for most people to act in, um, uh, uh, in a contrary fashion to what they believe themselves to be, mm -hmm. right? So if you can get the internals worked out right, um, uh, and acting in accordance with that will eventually be the most natural and, and obvious and easy thing to do. Mm -hmm. so, so with a lot of people, 
people, they wouldn't even think about this. Uh, and it takes real courage to look inside, especially if you're damaged goods from childhood or whatever. And mm-hmm. a lot of big people, they, they, they do have these demons, right? So it does take a certain amount of, um, of courage to, uh, to peel away the layers and get down to the nitty gritty. But that, that's, that's the real way to, um, um, uh, to have long lasting change and mm-hmm. not to have to go to the well of willpower all the time. Mm-hmm. You look at a lot of fit people, right? They, uh, they're the ones that need willpower the least, right? Mm-hmm. Because um, it's, uh, it's such a normal and natural thing for them to act in concordance with the way they see themselves. Mm-hmm. Like I just got finished an hour ago with the most difficult, pulverizing workout, um, but I love it, right? So it didn't take me willpower to get up and do that workout. It was really very enjoyable. Um, um, so, so, you know, it's, it, that's just an example of, of, of what can happen when, you're, mm-hmm. when you're, um, your core beliefs about yourself are very positive and then acting in concordance with that is, is very normal mm-hmm. and natural. I love how we've spoken about your health coaching, personal training, mm-hmm. changing body shape, increasing fitness, mm-hmm. but we haven't spoke yet about you haven't mentioned exercise or nutrition. It starts way back further than that, isn't it? So way back, yeah. yeah. It's not just about more burpees. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I'm not saying there's not a place for that, but yeah, like we want to break it down to first principles. That, that's, that's the place no, to go. On, a, on that note, what I consider to be on that note, if you look at the, the health and fitness industry last 30 years, the average personal trainer, depending on the, the, the stat you read, they've lasted anywhere between six and 12 months. So mm. why do you think that is? The, what's there's such an amazing job it's been such a great yeah career. oh look it's it's yeah. wonderful you know it's it's there's a lot of misconceptions about it i think people might think okay well i like working out i could do that right mm-hmm. i'll do a, a three-month course at tafe and i'll just start doing it and charge people a hundred dollars an hour um there's so much more to it than that you know um it, it, I, i'm not saying that that such a person wouldn't have a chance but but uh you have to have the misconceptions kind of swept away a little bit mm-hmm. if you're charging someone that amount of money for something so crucial as their potential for longevity and health right? What's more important than that? It's the most important thing. You've got to do your background reading. You've got to uh, really live the life yourself. Mm -hmm. So if you're getting up at four o'clock in the morning and you're getting home at nine o'clock at night, that's grueling to someone who doesn't really love it, Mm -hmm. right? So so even if I wasn't in this job, I would still be up at four o'clock in the morning going for a run because I love doing it. So one has to uh, live the life, not just consider it to be a job. It has mm-hmm. to be really a, a part of you and it has to be a, a deep, deeply felt passion. Otherwise, uh, you're just going to get chewed up and spat out and that's what you find. And does care factor tie into passion? It has to, as right? A, as yeah, a trainer. Yeah. I think it's hard to do something for yeah. a long term that doesn't come naturally to you, like you said, but it's hard to, you know, you can't pretend that you care yeah, for 20 years. and intelligent people will see that, right? Yeah. I mean, a lot of the clients that we have, both you and I, over the years, they've been very, um, um, uh, 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 very, very, uh, very smart, very, very, very cultured, very uh, successful people. Um, they're not fools, right? They can see through you, and um, um, uh, they're expecting a lot, and you've got to bring a lot to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's really, I find, very invigorating to interact with these people um, throughout the course of any day. So if I look at my schedule and I see um, uh, 10 to 12 people on that schedule for the day, um, I look forward to every one of those sessions because each of those people are, are, are a puzzle. They're a psychological puzzle, right? And it's fascinating. They all bring to the table their own fears and hopes and dreams and insecurities and childhood trauma and God knows what else. And we have to kind of sift through it all, right? Um, um, just as a means by which you can... Um, uh, uh, express yourself to them, right? So, so the way I would express myself to a, uh, a Supreme Court justice wouldn't be the same to a 
cab driver, right? Mm -hmm. You've got to meet the person where they're at. And so this chameleon-like nature that you have to have as a personal trainer is something that I really, really find fascinating. Mm -hmm. So on any given day, um, um, I just find the whole experience very invigorating to not only help people, but to be able to interact with all these different types of personalities mm -hmm. on multiple levels. Mm -hmm. And you think that's one of the reasons that you've, you've lasted the best part I of think so. two or three decades? I think so, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, you have to enjoy the company of people. You have to like people. <laughs> and if you don't, you're never, ever going to last. So there's a lot of elements to it, right? I saw you, uh, you know, for many years, still do work the early start, 5 to 11 or 12, and again in the evening, and you had or have a goal to read 200 pages a day, which is basically a book a day. Mm. What mm. topics do you like to read about? Uh, you mean traditionally or currently? Maybe oh, a bit of both. Bit of both. Yeah. Um, well, I, I always like to have um, on the go. I don't know, about eight to ten books going at any given time because um, um, my mood changes, right? So I might be really quite exhausted when, when I get home, so I'm just too tired to take in difficult texts, philosophy or psychology. It's just too hard. I'm too mm -hmm. tired. So in that case, I just might read poetry, mm -hmm. right? Or I might read uh, the classics, write novels, right? Uh, there are some novels that are just too hard to read, like Proust or someone like that, right? Um, but um, on a Saturday afternoon, I might feel really energised and really ready for that, mm -hmm. right? So, so um, um, I like to keep up with the latest ideas in, in uh, our field, of course. Mm -hmm. So there's an endless stream of books there to, to read about. And I just find that to the extent to which you get lazy about keeping up to date with cutting edge science in your field, you're just going to get left behind. And um, if you want to be the best trainer in the gym, really it's not about having the best physique, although that helps in the, in the initial stages of meeting someone, yeah, um, but it's really your knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. that, that's what's gonna separate you. And to just keep pushing, pushing in, uh, in that regard is really important. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, I've, I've always been a bit of a, a bibliophile. I love to read and it's, a, it's served me well over the years in this job, but it's also a means by which I can relax. Um, uh, I can, I can uh, achieve a lot of things um, that, uh, that uh, is very enjoyable to me and that's also quite cheap, right? So you just sit at home and, and, and relax with a book all afternoon is, is nothing Nothing better to me than that. Speaking about cutting edge, a few years ago, well firstly you're very passionate about nutrition. You considered going to university to study dietetics but you didn't? Yeah, well um, when I was 20 I got a, uh, an athletic scholarship to go run in the United States and uh, it was a wonderful experience, right? So at university over there um, I was studied psychology and um, I uh, was interested in nutrition very much so but uh, my, um, my, my initial passion was more for uh, writing and, and psychology. So uh, it was only, I was only interested in, in nutrition to the extent that it would make me a better athlete, yep. right? So uh, time restrictions at that time um, um, put paid to any um, hope of me studying nutrition at, the, at that point. Fast forward later on to, um, to where we are today, uh, it's simply a time factor, right? There's, there's that aspect. There's also the aspect too that, you know, um, a lot of the textbooks they're using at university right now are somewhat out of date because the field is moving so fast, right? Uh, I think it'd probably take you uh, 10 years to update the, uh, the textbooks for a lot of universities, you know, so, so with, a, with a field of nutrition moving so fast and, 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 uh, and, and so many dogmatic groups go, go, kind of going to war, war at each other, um, I think that, you know, it might, my time would be better served to kind of doing my own research and study. Uh, if there wasn't this thing called money, I would love to be a full-time student forever, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's sadly not, not possible. You What's your current philosophy towards nutrition, both for yourself, and what approach do you endorse for your clients? Hmm, this is an interesting question for me because, I mean, my, the evolution of my thinking has, um, has, uh, 
has um, has been rather rapid over the past six months. I would have to say, like, yeah. So uh, I've come to the conclusion that you know there is not one nutritional approach that works for everybody, mm -hmm. right? Uh, genetic variance in human beings is just too wide-ranged. Uh, however, there are certain core fundamentals that work for the majority of people, outliers accepted, right? So, so if I want to put it in a nutshell, I'd say that you know you, we want to human beings need to uh, learn the lessons from our prehistoric past. So for thousands of generations, what have human beings eaten? Fatty animals, fish and plants. Mm -hmm. Pretty much that's it. So really what I'm talking about is draw a distinction between real food and edible food-like substances, right? So there's a lot of things we eat that are not food, right? Uh, for most people, um, most of their diet are edible food-like substances, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? So, so um, uh, one rule of thumb I have is that if it's got a barcode on it, be suspicious, mm -hmm. right? So, so what are they up to? What is the processed food industry up to? They're up to something, right? And billions of dollars of R&D money go into this industry, right? So I was reading a book recently by a guy called Mark Schatzka, and it's called The Dorito Effect. And it's a look, he's an investigative journalist uh, that specializes in science. And I recommend everyone read this book. It was a, a big shock to me because what it outlaid is the tremendous amount of effort and money that's poured into this industry with the goal being to sell products that are uh, non-satiative and addictive to people. They provide zero nutrition, right? So uh, when you step into the world of, of, um, of uh, th these types of foods, the barcode foods as I call them, highly processed foods, you're stepping into their world and they've got you, right? So a couple of quick examples. Um, uh, corn chips, um, I, I, this was a big shock to me and quite funny as well, right? So, so research has been made into the exact decibel range the intracranial decibel range that are optimal for human beings to enjoy. I didn't even know there was such a thing. But they've studied this. Mouth feel and crunch. Yeah, volume. mouth feel and crunch, right? Yeah. Beyond taste. These guys are going next level, <laughs> right? And so, and so um, this has been studied. And the, the, the ideal decibel range, intracranial decibel range, has been studied, right? And so that is put into these corn chips, right? Um, um, you know, they've got that saying, oh, I bet you just can't have one. Right, by design. Yeah, They're yeah, not yeah. mucking around, these guys. They've put a lot of money into it. And so when you go down that path, you're having foods that are really high in calories, zero nutrition. Right? So, so their goal has got nothing to do with your health. Their goal is to sell their products. So they design them to be uh, non-satiative right? and highly addictive. Mm -hmm. right? so, so on the level of ethics and morality, I don't want to go anywhere near them. Mm. But on the level of nutrition, I mean, it's, it's so obvious you've got to stay away yeah. from them. So I sometimes say it's not always about the calories, but it's about the hormonal response to the macronutrient. So what's happening at that point with hormones like leptin and ghrelin? Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because like, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, uh, obesity uh, may be seen, and I happen to agree with this, this point of view, it's about hormonal dysregulation, uh, hormonal imbalance rather than calorie imbalance. And um, the big debate in nutritional science right now is between those two opposing camps, mm -hmm. the carbohydrate insulin model, as it's called, and uh, the calories in, calories out model. Mm -hmm. And um, where I land on this is I think that, you know, if you want to lose weight, yeah, it's important not to eat too much, of course. Being in a negative energy balance is, is part of it. But if you want to do that long term, you've got to keep your blood sugar stabilized, mm -hmm. right? So if your blood sugar is fluctuating, it takes tremendous willpower to keep yourself in a negative energy balance. Right? Mm -hmm. um, if you're eating foods that spike your blood sugar levels, insulin response, of course, is going to overcorrect. It's mm -hmm. going to make you fatter. What it's also going to do is drop your, your uh, blood sugar levels through the floorboards. And at that point, it takes some effort 
not to eat, not to break. Mm -hmm. So what you generally find is what I'm finding at the gym I'm working now, and it's very common, is that we have a, uh, like a, like a four-week weight loss challenge, right? So everyone gets really pumped up and really determined, and they'll crawl across broken glass to stay in that negative energy balance, doesn't matter what, right? With their calories, say they've got a BMR of, say, 1,500, they might be taking in 1,400 a day, enough to lose weight, but within that 1,400, there'll be things like white bread in there, there'll be baked potatoes, all these high GI foods that are gonna blast their blood sugar really high. And by sheer force of willpower, they're gonna stick out the four weeks. But of course, subsequent to that, what's gonna happen? Mm. They're gonna go back to their old mm. ways, right? And they're gonna need another, another uh, challenge down through the uh, mm. uh, six months later. And that's what happens. That's why you get most people yo-yo. So the yeah, real key yeah. I've found is to, yeah, don't eat too much, but what makes it so easy to do that is nourish yourself on fat and protein. Mm -hmm. So do you think the body's searching for nutrients, fiber, uh, what else? I mean, what's gonna make somebody feel satisfied and keep their weight healthy long-term? Well, exactly that, right? So, so feed yourself on things that human beings have eaten for thousands of generations. Mm -hmm. Fatty animals and, and, and fish, mm -hmm. and, uh, specifically, yeah? Probably over the last 20 odd years, there's been one thing that has stumped me on occasion really wanting to help somebody and you, you'll have somebody and I'll just use the example of a woman and, and mm. you know her exercise is 10 out of 10 because you see them every day mm. sometimes twice and you really believe they're eating well because they're telling you and mm -hmm. you know some cynical health practitioners might say they're mm. they're omitting information or mm. lying but I always think, why would somebody lie? They're writing their food down, they're showing you, and it seems mm -hmm. to be in a calorie range that's conducive to, mm -hmm. to weight loss, but they're not mm -hmm. shifting the weight. Do you have any thoughts in that regard? Yeah, it's the trickiest one of all. Um, um, uh, if you read the, the latest literature, that they talk about people being um, um, uh, metabolically damaged, very overweight for a long time. Uh, you have a certain damage to your, to your internal machinery, your metabolic machinery, mm -hmm. right? And it can take some time to turn that around. I mean, also, um, staying away from foods that have been promoted very vigorously over the last 30 years as very healthy, um, but in fact, um, um, have been a major cause of obesity, such as high GI carbohydrates, healthy whole grains, etc. Mm -hmm. Now, for some people, it's fine to have those, but some people are just super, super sensitive to these types of foods. And I've had great success over the years, no matter who the person is, by simply for a period of time omitting what I call the big three, right? Sugars, flour, flour-based products, grains, and starches. Right? Mm -hmm. So we omit those three for X amount of weeks, mm -hmm. and we see where that leads. And where that leads, um, so long as you're in a negative energy balance, mm -hmm. um, is, is, is weight loss. Right? So for especially a larger person, it can be intimidating to them to, to say, okay, you know the foods you've eaten for your whole life? Never again. So I would break it up into two stages. I'd say stage one, let's get you from where you're at to where you want to be. Mm -hmm. So you're 100 kilos, let's get you down to 78. When you get to 78, that's phase two. Now, let's start to insert back some of the foods that you really do enjoy eating that have given up, and let's see how that affects you, mm -hmm. yeah? So then you can kind of, by process of elimination, um, um, uh, ascertain the foods that are especially susceptible for them to put on body fat. Mm -hmm. It might be bread, um, it might be uh, white rice, who knows? But everyone's slightly different in that regard. Mm -hmm. But I tend to favor the scorched earth policy, right? So take out the big three, get rid of them, focus on good quality protein, mm -hmm. uh, greens, carbohydrates, but low GI, mm -hmm. uh, good quality fat, 
which is another whole thing we can talk about. Um, um, and I've had very little um, um, problems getting people um, to lose weight with that with that philosophy mm -hmm. over the years. But you know, there are outliers. There are poor people but that. Do people find that strategy difficult to implement? What they find most difficult, I've found, is accepting psychologically, right? That, um, what do you mean breakfast cereal is not good for you, right? Things like that. It's, it's the, the advertising um, over the past 30 years. What do you mean eating butter will help me lose weight? You know, mm -hmm. that is a big shock when people hear that. And maybe someone even listening to this right now will mm -hmm. think, well, what is he talking about? Mm -hmm. eating, eating butter is, is, is better than margarine. Because mm -hmm. throughout my early athletic career and early time as a trainer and coach, um, I was having you know, skim milk and I was, you know, um, I, I, was, I, was, I would never eat butter when I was having margarine and, mm. and I, I fell for this, this, um, this notion that um, uh, fat equals early death, right? Yeah, right. This was promulgated yeah, 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 for decades, yeah. right? And so that still lingers around. This, yeah, this yeah. misinformation is still around. But I know you got your thoughts on the low fat movement and they're, they're pretty correct, but uh, mm. I recall late 90s nutrition prescription was a, a high carb, low fat diet and um, mm. everyone was getting fit and strong, but no one was losing weight. And then it went mm. to a, mm. a, a low carb, high protein, low fat diet and mm. everyone was losing weight and getting real angry. And, yeah, then, right, uh, right. and then it's gone to more of a lower carb, moderate protein. You know, we used to yeah. prescribe a half a cow a day and then yeah. a higher fat diet and um, seems to hit the spot. But you're a big fan mm. of, uh, are you a big fan of the intermittent fasting and would you call yourself uh, more or less having a, ketogenic approach to nutrition or not quite? Yeah, that, 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 this is a really interesting area. I'm actually in the middle of a fast right now as we speak, right? So I kind of cycle on intermittent fasting myself. I go like 12 weeks on, three weeks off. And um, I find for me, it just helps keep, keep me lean. Um, uh, would I prescribe it for everybody? Absolutely not, mm -hmm. right? So say for instance, I have a client who has a history of uh, uh, eating disorders as a child. Definitely not. Mm -hmm. It would raise all sorts of demons for them, mm -hmm. right? Someone that's had a really problematic history with food, I, I, I would be very, very hesitant um, um, to, to initiate a, such a protocol with them. Um, uh, but um, having said that, I mean, go back and look at the story of history. What's man's association with food? One of the common, or probably the most common um, um, word that could be used to describe man's relationship with food would be scarcity, mm -hmm. right? So throughout human history, there's been a scarcity of food. So not by choice, but by necessity, um, fasting mm -hmm. has been part of the human condition since mm -hmm. time immemorial. It's part of so every culture. effectively evolved to, yeah. to be designed you got to, it, to right? go periods yeah. without food. Yeah. Inside us, the machinery, our machinery is hardwired to expect yep. periods without food. Also to expect fat and protein to be eaten yep. together with roughage, right? So our internal processes are designed that way, and to the extent that we diverge from that, uh, you can run into problems. So you're saying that 200,000 years ago, we didn't wake up and have breakfast, morning tea, lunch, afternoon tea, dinner and supper? Right. Um, Isn't it interesting, right? Here's another big misconception. I love this one that, you know, um, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what a load of rubbish, right? Yeah. I mean, think of the word, break fast. You're breaking your fast from the night before. Today, I'm going to break my fast at two o'clock. Yeah, yeah. Right, you make your fast whenever, yeah. right? This this whole idea of having to eat multiple meals a day that increases your metabolism. There's no science for that. Yeah. You encourage people initially to cut out sugar, flour, and starch. Does that is that confusing to people? I mean, we're not talking about a couple of teaspoons of sugar in your cup of tea. We're talking about the sugar in food and and where is starch and where is flour? Right. So part of it's educating people about food. Like I have clients that say to me, "Oh no, I never have sugar, but I have three cappuccinos a day." Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. there's there's sugar in milk, right? Yeah, it's lactose, yeah, right? Yeah. So the uh, thing about sugar, which makes it so insidious, is that it's highly addictive, but it's snuck into everything. Yeah. But again, if you're getting your food from 
jars, tins, boxes, and cans, chances mm. are there's sugar in there, right? Yeah, mm. and, and again, we come back to the food industry. They're very sneaky. They'll get it in there on you, mm. right? So um, again, to avoid all of that, just eat real food, right? Mm. If it doesn't rot, don't eat it. That's a pretty good maxim. Yeah. yeah? And um, once you said, yeah, if it doesn't have a, if it's got a barcode or it comes in a packet, don't eat it, which yeah. must reduce our food choices by about 95%. Well, and that's a reflection of, of how far we've gone off the rails, yeah. isn't it? What about, like in the 1950s, there was 2 billion people on the planet. There's now close to 9 billion. Like, mm. they've got to get fed somehow. Mm. I mean, is that why the processed food movement's increased so much? Or is it feasible to eat, you know, organic unprocessed food? Or? Not for everybody, no. Yeah. No, it's just not. Right, yeah. that's right. Uh, I mean, this is a, a separate question. This is a, I think it's, it's uh, to a large extent, it's a matter of distribution as well. But it's yeah, also yeah, yeah. a matter of, you know, cost. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you're living in an impoverished area and you've got like a house full of kids and you're on minimum wage, you're not eating organic steaks. How could you? You're probably not eating red meat. So, so if, 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 if Mickey D's has got a, like a special McHappy meal for the whole family for 10 bucks, that's hard not to go there, right? Yeah, it doesn't make it the right choice, but I see out of economics and necessity, it's, it's, it's a situation that must be dealt with. And it's, it's really sad. There was this, um, it's really quite sad and funny and ironic that there was an interview with a ghetto kids in America and they say, and the question was, where do potatoes come from? And they said, McDonald's, mm-hmm. right? It's like, yeah, that, that's their world. Yeah. There is no other option for them. Yeah. And it's a sad situation, but it's more a matter of, um, yeah, a, a lack of political will to distribute rather than um, uh, anything else. Yeah. Um, it, it, back on the topic of breakfast is the most important one day and mm. eat like, you know, skim milk and things mm. like that. Mm. I always think it's funny that um, people are great because they, they do what they were told. They were just told the wrong thing for 50 years. And here we are in 2021 with, you know, one in two people with heart disease, one in two men get cancer, one in three ladies get cancer, um, mm. one in two people will die from heart disease. It's our biggest killer. Can these be linked back to nutrition? You know, one in two people are overweight or mm. obese. Mm. And we think this is normal, but uh, everyone's wearing masks and sanitizing their hands because someone right. in uh, South Australia got coronavirus. Right. I mean, if we just think about how mad this is, like um, I looked at the CDC stats recently and since the 70s, obesity is, is, is increased 700%, 700%, right? Heart disease is the biggest killer of adult Australians and Americans, right? It's exploding northwards, right? It, it, someone's got something wrong, right? Someone's got something yeah, wrong. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look at also incidents of things like, like uh, brain degenerative disorders, right? Mm. Where do they come from? They just didn't fall out of the sky. Something's changed. What's changed? Food's changed, right? In the last generation. Yep. The first generation to grow up with processed food are now in their 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. There's a dementia all over the place. Is it a coincidence? Mm-hmm. What about other stats, broader, broadly speaking, you know, 40% divorce rate, 20% of people with anxiety or depression. Mm. Do you have any thoughts on life purpose, core values, people, the way we're living these days? Oh, yeah, it's a big topic, isn't it? I mean, it's, a, it's um, like, uh, I read a book recently and reviewed a book um, um, uh, uh, about the connection between depression and uh, bodily inflammation. Mm-hmm. And um, it, was, um, it was this um, uh, Cambridge University professor who wrote it, and it was his contention that a lot of depression has its origin in bodily inflammation, mm-hmm. right? So if you're eating foods of high GI, if you're eating foods um, that um, uh, tend to fatten you, if you're fat, you're inflamed, and inflammation crosses the blood-brain barrier right. and right. can affect the neuronal functioning in your brain and can make you depressed. That's really interesting, right? Well, it's interesting because I wasn't sure if the depression was causing the poor food choices, which was leading to the 
obesity or if you're sort of suggesting it's the other way around. That's what this guy's suggesting and, and it really got me thinking, right? It's like, um, you know, there's a, we can trace this all the way back to, uh, to uh, uh, a Frenchman in Amsterdam in the 1700s, Descartes, right? A, and, and, and he was um, um, uh, the guy that, the, that said, you know, I, I think therefore I am. So he's the, um, uh, the origin of the thoughts that, um, you know, they call it Cartesian dualism. I've got a mind and I've got the body and they're separate, right? The ghost in the machine, right? And so um, um, this in many ways was the foundation of, of, of Western medicine. You know, you have head doctors, you have body doctors, you have specialists, but the interconnected nature of all this is so clear now, but it wasn't clear then, right? So, so it's this uh, professor's contention and it's pretty compelling that, you know, what happens in your body should it cross the blood-brain barrier, it's got to affect your brain. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I've always thought, and it seems obvious that, you know, um, it's the other way around. Mm -hmm. But I think there's some sort of a feedback loop going on here. Mm -hmm. You know, it's no coincidence that um, um, in the medical literature, they're calling dementia-related diseases diabetes type 3. Mm -hmm. you know, a lifetime of inflammation has got to negatively affect brain function, just like it does body mm -hmm. function. Yeah. What about exercise? What would you say the most common goal a client turns up to you with a new client mm. and then the follow-on question is is resistance training a part of the program for every client um, there's a certain archetype of client who's the most common of all and that would be someone who's moderately overweight probably carrying about 10 some experience in the gym doesn't know too much looking for body fat reduction and to get a little bit stronger. That, mm. That's pretty much what you'll find. Uh, and that would be probably 85% of all clients are mm. like that. Um, so with such a person, right, um, the traditional idea was, okay, so let's just hammer yourself with cardio, right? Uh, the misconception at the root of all this misunderstanding is that, okay, I wanna lose weight. Well, I would say that's a misnomer. You want to lose fat. You don't want to lose weight. Mm -hmm. right? If you're losing weight, you're wasting away your muscle. You've got more brittle bones. Um, yep. Implication yeah. with that being? Yeah, well, um, um, if you're losing fat, right, you keep your muscle and you keep your bones. Bone, bones are really strong, especially as you get older. This is really important, right? So we get back to the idea of, of, of weight training being the, uh, the foundation. Uh, what you really want to do is increase your metabolic rate, right? Mm -hmm. So we talked before about... Um, uh, the um, erroneous notion that eating a lot of small meals in the day increases metabolic rate, it doesn't. How much muscle you've got on your frame as a percentage of your total body weight, that's what increases metabolic rate, mm -hmm. right? So a person comes to the gym and say, okay, well, let's do some weight training. What are the benefits they're gonna get? Well, many, it's, there's, there's never a disadvantage to being stronger, it just mm -hmm. makes you more able in life, makes everything you do easier, stronger bones, better balance, right? Mm -hmm. um, better able to articulate yourself through the world. It's funny, I had a, I've got a, a friend, very learned gentleman, very cerebral type guy, and um, his body started to, to break down a little bit. He's 55, and he said to me, um, uh, yeah, for the first time in my life, I realised that my, that my body is more than just a transport mechanism for my head, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? And uh, yeah, that's right, right? So, so it, you want to be able to manoeuvre yourself through the world, and, and we should remember that we are physical beings, right? So, so being able to do that on, on the, a practical level is really important. But if you break it down further and say, right, okay, so you're gonna get strong. When you get strong, you'll be able to lift more weight. When you do that, you're gonna get more muscle. When you get more muscle, you increase me metabolism. Mm -hmm. And if metabolism is the fire that burns fat, you're gonna get less body fat rather quickly. Yeah. So that's, that's the pathway, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that why men can lose weight a little faster than ladies sometimes? Well, there's an argument there that about testosterone that it makes it a little bit easier and it's pretty compelling, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. We're doing a challenge yeah. here at the moment and yeah. the lady, uh, we just did our halfway measurements. It's a, yeah. it's a six week challenge and mm. the 
lady was trying really hard with the food and exercise and, and she'd done really well, she lost two kilos, but at the same time as the challenge, the husband said, I'll, I'll eat well with you too, he lost, mm. lost seven. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, like, I mean, it, <laughs> now we, we run into the age-old problem of comparing yourself to other people, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no matter what, there's always gonna be someone skinnier, always gonna be someone stronger, <laughs> always gonna be someone smarter, yeah. Tell us about some of the benefits of fasting aside from weight loss. Yeah, I, I mean, this is where things really get interesting. I weight loss about the sixth benefit, um, mm. but I'll hand it over to you. Yeah, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, yeah. I mean, everyone has less body fat. I mean, as far as that's concerned, before we leave that point, I had a woman come in recently and said to me, I'm at my wit's end. I've tried everything, every diet known to man. I just cannot budge this weight. Uh, I, I'm willing to do any strategy. It doesn't matter how complicated. I'll do anything and I'll pay any amount. Well, I said, I've got a solution for you. It's free. There's no strategy involved at all, right? Um, um, uh, we can get started right away and it's guaranteed to succeed. And she thought I was crazy. And I just like gave her a blank piece of paper. There's your diet, <laughs> right? It's like, uh, like I'm oversimplifying and being a bit silly about it, but it's true, right? Yeah. So, so you will suck fat off your frame to do that. Now, the caveat is if you're, if you're coming from a really low quality um, eating plan, right? So you've got fluctuating blood sugar, Fasting's not for you initially, right? So you want to stabilize your blood sugar first. When that's done, say, take about seven to 10 days. How do you do that? By simply getting rid of the high GI foods in your diet. Right? Mm -hmm. So when you've got stable blood sugar, then fasting can become part of the protocol. Mm -hmm. um, uh, as we discussed before, so long as you don't have eating disorders in your past or things like that, right? So yeah, it's gonna work for fat loss. But what I really find intriguing, right, is um, as you get older, it has really powerful anti-aging aspects to it as well. Um, what I'm talking about here is autophagy, right? So autophagy, um, at, at the risk of oversimplification, is the process whereby the body gets rid of senescent cells. Mm -hmm. So as we senescent get- Senescent meaning dead? Yeah, half dead, dead, basically yep. half dead cells, right? So as we get older, these proliferate in the body and they're really prone to being uh, really um, uh, inflammatory, uh, uh, potentially they can turn cancerous. Uh, they're, they're essentially cellular debris. Mm -hmm. They're kind of like, uh, it's an analogy, it's like uh, if you have a party and there's some people still in your house after three days. He's like, dude, get out. <laughs> Party's over, right? Uh, they're just sucking up food and heat but giving you nothing, right? Mm -hmm. So on a cellular level, that's what's basically going on. So you get all these senescent cells around. Mm -hmm. They're taking uh, nutrients but giving the cell nothing. Mm -hmm. They're clogging up the works, right? So if the body can get rid of those, it's like a cellular house cleaning mm -hmm. which is what autophagy is yeah and so fasting initiates this process yep. right so can fasting also result in increased collagen increased growth hormone testosterone can it reduce inflammation well as part of the autophageal process yeah it's going to really reduce inflammation yes yeah, yeah, right. certainly so it sounds like a good combination fasting and resistance training yeah, and again, the question is then, well, hang on a second, if you're fasting, you'll have no energy to, to do anything, and once you lose, once you lose muscle, it's interesting studies have been done on this, so long as you're um, uh, continuing with your weight training, um, even in a fasted state, um, uh, studies have shown that you don't lose muscle, right? Mm -hmm. So this is really interesting, right? But do you find it counterintuitive that somebody might get into their fasting in the very short term and actually have more energy? Yeah, well, this is interesting Mental as well. Um, yeah, I, I think so. I'm just um, um, hypothesizing here, right? But, but um, I would say that perhaps we could, we could make the suggestion that, you know, again, we go back to man's primordial past. If it was true to say that in a fasted state, our mental acuity dropped and our ability to concentrate really dropped, that would make it less and less likely that we'd find something and have the ability mm. to kill it. Yep. So it kind of makes sense that 
through natural selection, people would have been selected for the ones that actually became sharper under conditions of mm -hmm. fasted. They're the ones that would have killed and had the mm -hmm. progeny and the offspring, right? So it certainly makes sense to me that mental acuity actually rises. So mm -hmm. counterintuitive, isn't it? Under fasted well, conditions. I that when I wake up and have a bowl of oats, I want to have a nap about an hour later. Yeah, I'm the same. But yeah. uh, that's something I do quite often. If I get confused, I think, okay, when in doubt, think evolution. Mm. Uh, why would my body store fat if mm. I consume too many calories, especially too many carbohydrates? Mm. Why does insulin store? Mm. And that, again, is mm. a famine mechanism, right? Right, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, it's, it's no, it, no risk of famine these days with the, the, the 7-Eleven two in each suburb. Yeah, the un, yeah that's right. The un, one of the un, really unfortunate things, right, is that, um, you know, um, um, dopamine, right, which is nature's way of enticing us into action, right, is really activated, was activated by the thought of high calorie foods, right, which literally save mankind from extinction, mm -hmm. right? So, so, yeah, we've learned um, biologically over thousands of generations to associate sweet high calorie foods with life itself. Right. Fast forward to today, those mechanisms are still there, but we're surrounded by sugar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So when you walk in, I mean, I, I, I had a sweet tooth when I was younger. I've, I've, I've weaned myself away from it, but I could walk up to a window in a French patisserie and I can feel the dopamine surging in me. It's really powerful. Right. That, that, that dopamine saying, hey, get your ass in there yeah, and yeah, buy yeah. it. Right. Eat it. That's life. And it's you, not. It's death now. And you're saying is, food marketers and food scientists know this? Oh, they know it full well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they know it full well and they play on it. Right? Even the way things are positioned in a supermarket, oh, they, 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 yeah, they yeah, know yeah. it. See, one of the sad things, right, is that a lot of the things we're talking about, like food chemists for Arnott's or Nabisco or Kellogg's, they know all of this, but yeah. they use the information against you. And that's yeah, what yeah, yeah. no, makes that's, it so reprehensible. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's another book called Sugar, Salt and Fat, and they talk mm. about manipulating those three variables to make something more-ish. You know? Right, yeah. right. There's no limits to what they can do. A particularly funny one, ironic and funny and sad again, is that um, there's a ratio, two parts fat, one part sugar, that only occurs in one place in the whole of nature. Right? So generally where you find fat, you don't find sugar. Right, like meat, yeah. and where you find sugar, like in fruit and vegetables, you don't find fat. But two parts fat, one part sugar, like whoa, what's that? Breast milk, yeah. right? So they know this and they put that ratio into certain processed foods and it just makes it irresistible, but you don't know why. You think I just have to have this. Because again, right from the very first nutrient you ever got as a baby, that's, that's the ratio you got. And so again, they know that and they, they make their processed food around these ratios, it's very common. How, how open and responsive are clients to taking on board nutrition advice? I mean, you're, you're educated, you can back up any suggestion, recommendation, you, you speak with conviction, but um, remember that client that you met that time and, and you sat down, never met him before, across the desk and he said, impress me. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's like, um, having the courage of your convictions is, is, is one thing and, 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 and being calm under fire as well. I mean, obviously he was a guy who's a big shot CEO. He's used to calling the shots in his life. And um, his wife just said, look, you've got a weight problem. You've got to go in there and forced him to go. So he went there under sufferance. Yeah, so his thirds were, so he, he just yeah. sat down and, go, and goes, impress me in a really aggressive manner. Um, and then he goes, why am I here? I said, well, you're here because you're an obese man. And um, if you look at the statistics, you, 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 you might very well be dead soon, but I can help you, right? Uh, and the, the, I mean, the, at the end of the day, he lost a lot of weight and we became really good friends. But yeah, uh, your, your question about um, yeah, uh, how e easy is, is it to convince people, it's hard, right? Because mm. the misinformation out there is like an ocean. And I'm constantly myself second guessing myself. Well, I shouldn't say second guessing, but I'm assuming that I must have got something wrong. 
right? And I think that's a healthy way to be. And that's what science is, right? Uh, it's never an end game. Yeah, so, so my assumption mm. is that, okay, let's test what I think. Let's have a look at the latest studies. Is there any holes in my game? Maybe there is. And if there are, great. I can at least evolve. Mm. Um, um, if, I'm, if I'm greeted with um, something that flies in the face of what I thought I knew, I'm going to change my position. Mm. Well, I mean, of course. Why wouldn't you? I often think we are dealing or battling with 20, 30, 40, 50 years of food habits. You know, mm. I said to a lady the other day, um, mm. when you have breakfast, are you hungry? And she said, mm. oh actually no and I said well, mm. why do you eat and she said because mum told me to and yeah. I said mind you this lady was 50 yeah I said when yeah, was yeah. that and she yeah. said oh it would have been about 1964 but the question right, was right. who told her mum and it was John Kellogg yeah God love right him. right but uh <laughs> you once told me you're trying to avoid John <laughs> Kellogg the antichrist <laughs> well you know he was quite a hardcore uh Christian um God bless and him cornflakes were invented for another reason actually initially but that's a different story true story google it hey uh <laughs> You once told me you're trying to avoid the dad bod. Uh, do, you, do, do clients often say to you things like, well, at my age, mm. and sort of self-imposed limitations, do you think age is a factor to, becoming, uh, to achieving peak health? Have you seen people get in the best shape of their life in their 40s, 50s, 60s? Yeah, God, yeah, God, yeah. yeah. I mean, you come to, back to this limiting core belief thing. Like that whole dad bod expression, it's a, uh, what it is to me and what, what, what gets my goat about it is that it's an acceptance, it's a free pass for being mediocre. Oh, I got it. oh, I'm a dad now, I can just be fat. Um, yeah, it, that's uh, such a terribly limiting way to view yourself and those around you. It's like, oh, I'm married now, I don't have to try. Like, what, what about your wife? She has to sleep with you. Like, you know what I mean? What, what is going on with that attitude? It's a terrible attitude, right? Look, if you're overweight and you're doing your best and you're trying, God bless you, that's, that's fantastic. 100% support, but if you acquiesce to this idea of, oh, okay, so I'm older now, so I'm just gonna be fat and that's acceptable. Right? It's, it's kind of like I see that reflected in this, in this um, uh, laudatory kind of way people are talking about enormously obese women now with the whole plus size model thing, right? And to me, I think that, look, I'm not saying that people who are bigger shouldn't have models to, uh, for, for the clothes that they buy. What I'm talking about is a 140 kilogram woman in a bikini on the cover of Cosmopolitan magazine mm -hmm. held up as some sort of beacon of hope. Mm -hmm. uh, that woman would be probably dead in five years. It's, it's, it's terrible, right? And it's really cowardly to say, go girl. Um, I just don't understand that attitude. It's like cheering on a heroin addict or something. Mm -hmm. the, the, the poor person needs some help, right? So it's, it's, it's yeah. Look, I wrote an article about this recently. I got a lot of blowback um, um, uh, because of it. But I just think that the, um, um, the criticism was um, ill-founded because I'm not saying that people who are bigger can't be beautiful. And beauty is so subjective anyway. What I'm saying is that we shouldn't lord people who are massively overweight and give them a free pass. Just like the whole dad bod phenomenon. It's almost like a marketing ploy mm -hmm. to say that, hey, being fat is okay. You know, secretly put in by food manufacturers. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't put it past them. <laughs> I just wouldn't. You must come across mm -hmm. clients who are trying to do the right thing with their exercise and their nutrition, but sometimes the influences mm -hmm. of the people closest to them aren't positive. Yeah, yeah. Do you yeah. have to? Yeah, being on the same page and having some sort of domestic solidarity is, is, is really important. I mean, if you're doing your best to lose weight, you've got a problem with it and you come home and you're tripping over empty pizza boxes, it's a problem. It, it, it's a problem, right? Um, so, so, of course, if, if your husband or wife or girlfriend, boyfriend are on board, wonderful. It just makes it so much easier. Mm -hmm. If they're not, 
Um, you can still succeed, but it's just it's a much harder road. Yeah, it's a much. And you're uh, happily married, Danielle. She health conscious. She's a lawyer. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, and, and they're like most lawyers, um, you know, teetering on the on the on the brink of insanity through overwork. <laughs> uh, but yeah, very health conscious. Like, I I I, um, I don't think I could have as a partner someone who didn't value health, mm-hmm. right? So value fulfillment is more important than happiness to me. Mm-hmm. I think happiness is a bit of a utopian. Mm-hmm. Um, um, uh, I don't know. It's almost like a dead end. Trying yeah. to trying to trying to be happy. It's so fleeting, right? Yeah, yeah. If you can fulfil your values, then you can have a deep sense of satisfaction. So our, I want um, um, between us our, our our values to be aligned, and we can try and fulfil them together. It's mm-hmm. just easier that way. Yeah. But she's uh, you know always at the gym, going hard. Uh, she'll work to twelve o'clock at night and be up for a five a.m. class. So you know it's it's very admirable, and and uh, I can't help but look at her sometimes and think, oh man, I've got to stay on my game. But yeah, it's yeah. nice to be inspired by by someone that you love That's as well. Cool. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I often think about happiness being an in-the-moment feeling, and I think sometimes I have a joke with people that uh, mm. I think I'm going to get to this place in the future where there are no problems, but mm. that mm. place does not exist. But uh, fulfilment's are much deeper. I think about the guy climbing Mount Everest, or the woman, mm. you know, three-quarters of the way up, freezing cold. Mm. Happy's probably not the right word, but imagine the fulfilment of reaching the top. Right, then, yeah. Uh, so the, the way I see this, right, I, I want to kind of live my life in a flow state. In, in psychology, they have this term flow state. So a way to describe that is that, you know, you're in a situation where you're looking at what you want to achieve and it's just slightly beyond where you think you can get to. It's tantalizingly close. And you realize, man, if I dig deep with inside myself, I just might get there, but I might not. So you're so talking not, about the concept of personal growth and development and that yeah. leading to fulfillment or, oh, yeah, as opposed yeah. to the comfort zone? Yeah, well, I, I guess I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll flesh this out a little bit. So if you're in a situation where um, you're, um, you're trying your best to achieve something that's just a little bit beyond what you think you're capable of, right? it's not so difficult that you just think it's impossible, nor is it so easy that you don't have to try. It's just tantalizingly close. Like a mountain climber, just let me get and handhold, just let me get a foothold. Just what you're in is a flow state. Time stands still at that point. Mm-hmm. You're just flowing, you're flowing. I want to try and live my life in a flow state if I can. So with every client I have, I'm just I'm just coaching my ass off, right? So knees, elbows, this, that. I'm just like teetering on the brink of just doing the best job that I can. Over the last 50 years, there's been a lot of food myths, like, you know, you've got to eat breakfast and uh, eggs are really bad for you. They give you cholesterol and milk's great mm-hmm. for your bones. Mm-hmm. Where do you think one of the biggest areas that we've been led astray as a society is when it comes to nutrition? I think that um, the greatest tragedy of all that's led to so much unnecessary death and, and confusion uh, is the, the free pass that sugar has been given and the unfair demonization of fat. Right? So I think things really changed for me from the 80s and 90s at around about 1999, somewhere around there, where I read an article in the New York Times that really changed my life. And the article had the title something like, uh, What If It's All Been A Big Fat Lie? And it was by, by a guy called Gary Taubes, who's a, actually a, a, a guy who's got a, a physics degree from Harvard, but he's also an investigative journalist. And his job at the time was to uncover and write about poor science in the physics domain. Right? And so... Uh, his, uh, his scientific friend said, oh, you want bad science? Hop on over to nutrition, check that out, see what you can find. And what he uncovered was just, um, it was quite devastating. And he wrote a book called Good Calories, Bad Calories. And um, that was a, a, really a seminal work in the carbohydrate insulin model as we see it today, mm-hmm. right? So, so um, basically he, he uncovered many things, but, but, but one of the things he, he talked about was uh, this scientist called Ansel Keys. Right and um, the, the scientific fraud that he indulged in, right, and um, 
So the story was that you know um, there was a time when people started to drop dead of heart attacks for the very first time, and it was, of course, a major shock to everybody, right? And um, so the word went out in the scientific community, let's find out what's going on with this. So essentially, there was two opposing camps that broke out. Ansel Keys, University of Michigan, I believe, and he said, it's fat. Fat's causing it. Uh, um, um, uh, John Yudkin, uh, a professor out of Queen's College in London, said, no, it's sugar. And for a while, it was blood sport between these two. They were going at it. Whoever got it right, um, or whoever won the day, was going to get the Nobel Prize, right? Mm -hmm. So, so, um, so what um, Ansel Keys did is he went over to Europe and conducted a, uh, a study of, a, of a multiple countries. Um, uh, and and he, what he wanted to show was the incidence of heart disease that married the high consumption of fat, right? But what he did is he cherry-picked the data. Right? Mm -hmm. So anything that didn't um, accord with that hypothesis was omitted. Right? It's fraudulent, right? So for instance, France, high uh, fat intake, low incidence of heart disease. Mm -hmm. right? so, so he went back armed with this data, uh, and because he was a, a bullying type of personality, won the day. Right? So um, uh, convinced everybody that that was the situation, was on the cover of Time magazine. Industry jumps on board and says, right, okay, so fat is out, right? Um, farmers thought, oh, all this milk that I've got here, this skim milk, we skim it off and make cream and yogurt and everything, all this stuff that we threw away, this we can market as being healthy because it's got no fat in it. But if you take out all, of, all the fat out of food, you take the flavor out, so what do they fortify it with? Sugar. So all this non-fat industry sprung up on the back of Ansel Keys and some other kind of poorly designed studies from late last century, right? So bad science, industry jumps on board, uh, new scientists coming through realize that mm, if I go up against Ansel Keys, I'm just going to be marginalized and I'm going to get nowhere. So a generation of, of young nutritionists were kind of raised with this idea that fat causes heart disease. But mm -hmm. if you go back and look at the literature, there's no controlled clinical trial data that shows a direct link for that at all. It's amazing, right? So, so th throughout the 80s, you remember it yourself, we were raised with this idea that there was a direct connection between fat intake and, and, and heart disease, yeah? Mm -hmm. That fat made your fat as such, you know? Um, but of course, sugar and the inflammatory properties of sugar was the main culprit. Mm -hmm. So uh, about six months ago, really uh, a strange thing happened. I wasn't surprised, but it was still a shock. The New York Times published all the papers that proved that the sugar industry paid off Harvard scientists to bury the damaging studies about sugar's connection to, to, uh, mm -hmm. to heart disease and instead blame fat. Hmm. Right? They paid them off, right? All the documents are there. So when I heard about that, I thought, oh, okay, I'm not surprised, but god damn. Yeah, well. Right? It wasn't even for that much money. So you had this level of, you know, this, this, this level of corruption and, and misinformation and this, this disaster that uh, uh, we're all uh, living through right now with this massive obesity problem. I mean, think back to the 80s, right, when AIDS was a big deal. Can you imagine that if that had not been tackled then, and the incidence of that had risen 700% like obesity. Mm -hmm. It'll be a worldwide emergency, right? Mm -hmm. But everyone's like, oh yeah, 700%, everyone's fat, yeah. Everyone just goes along, mm -hmm. nothing really changes, yeah. Some movement on the periphery, but nothing. It's amazing to me, right? Do you have advice when it comes to nutrition? Do you still oh, like, yeah. Yeah, a glass oh, yeah, of red? Oh yeah, 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 wine, wine, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. I freely admit it. Yeah, no, I, I'm a, a real wine enthusiast, I love it. It's, um, it's uh, something that I, 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 I uh, I could easily have um, every day. Yep. Uh, I force myself not to, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the world of wine is great for me. And, and I really do think there, there's a place for sensible indulgences. Yep. What, you've been a part, of, part of a lot of teams, both uh, mm. in sport and business. Mm. What do you think makes a good team? 
In, in business, I think what makes a good team, at least in our industry, in the health space, uh, it's the culture of the gym, mm -hmm. right? The culture, right? You've got a good culture. Um, everybody feels welcome when they come in, right? If you've got a pretentious type fractured culture, uh, doesn't matter how good the business is, mm -hmm. on a financial level, it's, it's always going to be a bit of a battle. Mm -hmm. And it's so hard to get good people, right? Mm -hmm. In any business, I think, uh, you rise and fall on your ability to attract good people. And your definition and of them. culture? That's an interesting question. It's the, it's, the, uh, it's the vibe that pervades the general atmosphere of the gym, how people interact with each other. Um, um, you, know, you, you, you know when you feel it, yep. right? Everyone's very welcoming. There's no pretense. Um, in the gym I'm working at now, everyone's very, very accomplished um, as athletes and also as professionals, but you would never know it. Mm -hmm. Everyone's really, really humble. Yeah, I, I have a phrase that I refer to them as humble magnificent, right? Yeah, 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 yeah that's and that's, that's really, really wonderful to, to, to be in an environment like that with everyone has full respect for each other. Um, there's no clicky groups, you know, uh, uh, the guy that runs the business, we love him, right? Mm -hmm. And that permeates through the whole place, right? Mm -hmm. And so as a punter, you come in and say, is this the gym for me? You can't help but notice that. Mm -hmm. And you've been in and around gyms for a long time. Mm -hmm. There's gyms, there's studios, there's personal training, there's group exercise, there's do it yourself. Mm -hmm. Remember that statistic about a person who joins a gym mm. and after six months, they are, the stat is they're in the same shape or worse for right. three reasons. What yeah. were those three reasons? Yeah, yeah. So, so I think that from memory, it was uh, that, um, um, uh, nine out of 10 people who go to a fitness facility um, with the hope of losing body fat after six months are the same weight or more, right? It was a remarkable statistic, right? Yeah. Almost everybody. Right, you always get the, the one out of 10 who's maybe an ex-athlete or an army guy or whatever, but most people, virtually everybody, fail. And there's three main reasons for that, this study said. And number one is that um, they just have a lack of knowledge. They're just not sure what to do. They're really determined, but how do I do it? What mm -hmm. do I do? Um, uh, number two was that they're just not consistent enough, right? So they might be all inspired and do five sessions in a week, then you won't see them for a month. Then they'll come back and do another two. They're all over the place, no consistency. Um, uh, and um, that, that's, a, that's a really important one, isn't it? Consistency, to train when you don't feel like. It, mm -hmm. Right? Uh, I mean, any, anyone can train when they feel like it, but when you don't feel like it and you do it anyway, that's really a marker of someone who's going mm -hmm. to succeed. Mm -hmm. Yeah? And, um, and the last ones are, are pushing yourself out of a comfort zone. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So for a lot of people, they're not even sure what a comfort zone is, let alone pushing beyond it. Right? It's, uh, you know, it reminds me of David Goggins' uh, recent quote, you know, you think you're giving 100%. If you think you're giving 100%, you're probably giving about 40. And if you did give 100, you'd be shocked at what you could achieve. Mm -hmm. So in the PT space, all those three things are taken care of, right? Yep. I'll show you what to do. You book in, so you're going to turn up, and I'll push you out of your comfort zone. Not so much that you'll get injured, but again, we get back to flow state. I'll yep. put you in that flow state. Just try and achieve just a little bit more than what you think you're capable of, and that's a very exciting way to train. Cool. Mate, last question. You've got six months to live. In, in that time, you're in perfect health, time, money, not a real issue. How do you spend your time? Oh, that's an easy one. Don't travel. Travel. Travel, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, the, the, the different countries that I've been in um, um, throughout the course of my life has just enriched me so much. You know, it's not just you have memories, but those adventures become part of who you are. It's how you see the world, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so um, um, we, we get back to the very first thing we're talking about, mindset, right? That's the prism through which I see the world. My time in Holland and my time in India and my time in, 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 in Indonesia and all these different countries living in the United States and Canada and Japan. Uh, these are w wonderful experiences and that uh, there, that's what I'd like to do. Travel and have some meditative 
time for rumination and introspection, right? Mm. <laughs> yeah, not to be trying to achieve anything, but just get inside the confines of my own head and, and, and see as many cultures and, and, and peoples in the world that I possibly can. Mm -hmm. right, good mm. answer. Um, yeah, that, that question's often a, obviously a link to your, your major personal core values, but thanks mm. for your time today. Mm. If anyone wants to mm. speak to James or, or train with him, he can be found at Tribe Social Fitness in Tarrant Point mm. in Sydney. But uh, thanks a lot, mate. Oh, thanks very much. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. <laughs>